Do I need a life coach? You're listening to episode 52 with Rhiannon Bush. Welcome to the Do I Need a Life Coach podcast. We're here to discuss the ins and outs of the life coaching industry and give you tools to use to see for yourself. I'm your host, Rhiannon Bush, mother, management consultant, and a passionate, certified life coach. Well, hello, my friends. I hope you're having a great week and I'm hoping that your life is on track and going the way that uh, that you'd like it to. If it's not, don't worry. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> no, I say that, you know, tongue in cheek. Um, I just have a lot going on. I might have said this for a few weeks in a row now um, and it's not getting better. So I'm going to have to set firmer boundaries with myself and um, others <laughs> and really start to, yeah, rein that in a little bit. We have had beautiful weather, like surprisingly good weather for August um, in Tasmania. And oh, it's not a good thing because obviously August in winter is meant to be cold. And the fact that it's warmer and there was actually warmth in the sun um, doesn't, yeah, farewell for environmental reasons. But, you know, I did enjoy it. Oh. And it's gone back to really, really cold this week. So, yeah, it's up and down and, you know, yeah. The fact that I'm even talking about or focusing on the weather tells you that I've got a lot going on and it's a welcome distraction. Um, today we are going to talk about what feels good uh, in relation to, oh, please like me. And it's really important to understand how you operate and what feels good for you to operate. So this is pretty much the basis of emotional intelligence. I know for myself that I can make myself feel good about certain things. Uh, I can feel positive and I can feel like I'm moving forward to a point. But what I realized a few years ago was that nothing feels quite as good for me as when somebody I think highly of or have a lot of respect for or somebody outside of myself um, that I may not expect it from compliments me or recognizes me for my efforts or whatever that might be. So that significance or that, that gratification from others. And I really started to resent how much I valued external validation. And I found it really frustrating, especially you know when I did my coach training, we talk a lot about being intrinsically motivated versus being extrinsically motivated and how we can take responsibility for our actions and how we can change our feelings with our thoughts. So it becomes this spiral of, well, you open quote, should close quote, be accountable, be able to deal with things quicker, which can sometimes instead of pepping you up, can actually create pressure and instead bring you down and demotivate you. So until I studied emotional intelligence, I didn't really understand that it's perfectly okay to be externally motivated or internally motivated. But what the difference is, is how you use it to your advantage. So years ago now, four years ago, when I had my son, I was really struggling um, in the throes of motherhood, as I think most women can relate to, any woman, ambitious women or not, um, because motherhood is really hard, especially if you're someone who prides yourself on intelligence and contribution and using your brain to solve problems, you know, which is very, for me, linked to my identity. Um, and it was for years that I spent working prior to becoming a mum. 
Um, but it's okay to be motivated however you're motivated, providing that you use it to get the motivation that you need and do that from a resourceful place. So what do I mean? I used to crave compliments and seek pats on the back and compliments from my superiors at work. And it probably stemmed from a really, really young age. I was the teacher's pet in school. And if I wasn't, then, you know, the world was going to end. And I was always like, why? And what don't I have that the the actual teacher's pet has? And it was a really, really unhealthy thing. And it was purely on the basis that I felt in the workplace, like I had done good work or I hadn't done good work. And that was based on the validation that I did or didn't get. And it's a habit that I still fall into sometimes. And so in those instances, I'm still trying to break it. Um, Because when my superiors recognize my work, I always have felt like I had added value and done my role. And if they're happy, everything's okay, which is total people pleasing. When actually, everything is okay anyway. But it just sometimes didn't feel that way unless I had that pat on the back or that recognition from somebody else. Because if someone was unhappy, I felt so physically uncomfortable and like I had done the wrong thing that my stomach would sink. And I got to the point where I would feel physically sick if I had done wrong by somebody. And until that relationship was back where I felt, you know, we were good. Oh, I I felt incredible anxiety and sickness and, and just guilt really, maybe shame, but mostly guilt. I was talking to a colleague the other day, actually, and she, um, she's a real people person and she just has such a high level of care for other people. So on a disc profile, she would be a high eye. And so she's just beautiful. She really is a loving and giving person. And at the moment, she's finding it extremely difficult to say no which is a very common eye trait if you're an influencer on a DISC profile. Or even if you don't know DISC profiling, uh, it's about you being that people person, you care about everybody, you care about who's on your team, you're optimistic, you're bubbly, you're spontaneous. And if you're that person, then often you find it very, very hard to say no. And when I was talking to her about it, I was like, you know, you can say no you know, and I was teaching her a method that she can use to evaluate when she says no, when she doesn't. And she was like, then saying, oh yeah. And I could just say, I don't have the time or I don't, you know, I can't give it my all or whatever that might be. And I said, you don't have to justify it. And she was so visibly uncomfortable with that. But it's also part of setting a boundary that you can set that boundary and not feel the need to justify. You don't have to justify it. If you want to, fine. But it depends on the reasons you're justifying it. Is it to make you feel better and for the relationship to be amicable? Or are you doing it out of guilt and the you know fear that things aren't going to be okay because you're saying no to soften the blow? So when you're continually looking for external validation, as I've just spoken about how I used to, can you see how unresourceful that could be? When the only way I felt okay or like I was doing a good job had to be given to me from somebody else. All that power in that, see how it lies with somebody else. It was very disempowering, a very disempowering way to be. And this is something that has stemmed from childhood and what's also contributed is being maybe the eldest child. Uh, Oldest children often have a sense of that loyalty and they carry this air of responsibility 
And, you know, it's just because when they're the only child in the family for those first few really formative years of their lives, you know, they get all the attention of the parents and they don't have to fight for attention or, you know, anything like that. So it's not anybody's fault. It's just something that happens um, in sort of the hierarchy of siblings and, you know, when you're the firstborn. Especially when we have good friends and we can make friends easily, offending people and upsetting people is something that can cause really deep discomfort. So it's taken me a long, long time to be able to sense check what's going on intrinsically and whether something aligns with my values, how I want to show up in the world, who I want to be and what matters to me first. To then go back to the other people around me and make sure that the relationship is amicable and intact. If the relationship wasn't amicable or intact, that fueled my people-pleasing habits to do everything in my power to get that relationship back to where I wanted it to be, to where it felt comfortable for me and where I knew we were okay. Which if you really think about it, it's kind of selfish (laughs) by putting my internal equilibrium, you know, it was so dependent on my environment and the people in my external environment being comfortable with me and liking who I am. People-pleasing. When I was doing this, as I've said, I was placing all of the power on them and I'm talking about my power, but expecting that to come back and enable me to feel good about myself. And I do see this in a lot of my clients, a lot of people I know, a lot of of people I see going about their lives, relying on others to feel good about themselves and their actions. That can be friends, that can be work colleagues, it can be family, it can even be their children. But it's that waiting and hoping and through certain ways that we learn to manipulate when we're young in sort of social settings and with social contracts, you know, to be praised, which then completely uplifts, validates and motivates us to keep going, to feel good and keep forging a path that we're on and keep performing in whatever way we have been. The hardest part I found about this was that nothing I did for myself or said to myself ever caused me to feel nearly as good as when somebody I cared about or sought validation from gave it to me. And at some point in my life, I decided that that was pretty messed up (laughs) and it really didn't serve me to try and live my life, you know, trying to live my life on my terms, me finding out who I wanted to be in the world, what unique gifts and abilities I have and that I bring wherever I go. You know, it was actually a huge detriment to my identity, my personal power and to my sense of self because without that validation, I didn't know who I was or what I stood for. I also didn't know what boundaries I needed and how to say no. And I also didn't know how to make decisions on my own without looking to others to help me make them or making sure that if it was the wrong decision, I could turn around and say, oh, but they said, oh, that's on them. They did that, not me, which again is an extremely disempowering way to be. When I was adjusting to being a mum, on those days when I felt very flat and I yeah, missed my previous single and solo and independent life and corporate life, I would sit in front of YouTube and watch 15-minute motivational clips. I would watch them and they would give me good feelings and hope and really they enabled me to feel good. And they put me back into a state of power and belief that I could live the life that I wanted to and it enabled me to start 
thinking about all the things that I loved while I could still be a mum looking after my infant at the same time. And let me just clarify something. I'm so grateful for my beautiful children and I made a choice to have them, a very conscious choice. And I know so many women who have struggled to conceive or haven't been able to have children and I would choose again to have my kids. I absolutely adore them and it is very hard. As all of my mum friends and I say, we love our lives and we have so much to be grateful for. And that doesn't stop us being individual humans who had very fulfilling and enriching lives that have changed dramatically by us becoming a mum. And more to the point, the kind of mum we want to be, which is the primary caregiver, plus worker, plus our own person in our own right. It's hard. So, I would listen to these motivational clips and they would quickly make me feel better. And I didn't think at the time that that was okay, that I was looking to things external from me, things outside of myself, to make myself feel whatever it was that I needed to feel. Until one day, I was part of a coaching mastermind where an incredible coach who was in that group, ah, I can't remember her name. But she was this mother of the earth type. She was soulful, Arabic, and she's just, oh, she was amazing, amazing, amazing. And she pointed out that doing that was a very resourceful way to feel better. And that by doing that, I was actually putting myself first and I was putting myself in an emotional state, which meant that not only was I a better human because I focused and felt better, but it also made me a better mum too. So like anything we do in life, everything driving our behavior is driving us to meet needs that we have. In coaching, we call these core needs. Sometimes it relates very heavily to our values. Um, Other times we can talk about core needs in isolation, but Tony Robbins talks about them extensively. Um, You can look them up on his website. I'll put the link in the show notes um, to find out more about core needs. But the core needs of our personality are certainty and variety, which is the complete opposite but we need both. We need these in different measures depending on what it is that we're doing and what area of our lives we're talking about and what season of life we're in. The next lot of needs of the personality is love and connection or significance. Love and connection being our relationships to others and feeling like we are at one with a group or a tribe, uh, a society, a community, and significance being our ability to feel unique in that group to feel special, to feel like we're an individual, like we've got our own characteristics and traits that make us who we are and not like the person beside us. Once those four needs are met, we will then extend into the needs of our spirit. And the two needs that we try to meet are our needs for growth and our needs for contribution. I take most of my clients through this in detail across multiple sessions, and I could do a whole workshop on this alone. But right now, I want to explain that drivers of our behavior are to meet these needs in whatever variation of each of those we need. When we're looking to meet those needs, we're doing it in either a way that's healthy and going to support us in a really positive way and an ecological way, or is in a way that is going to be detrimental and may have a negative impact on us and those around us. I was recently at a conference and I saw a woman who was by herself in a casino, extremely drunk, sloppily drunk, surrounded by men who were trying to pick her up off the floor because she kept falling over. You know, I'd seen her earlier in the evening flirting and laughing, having a great time with these men. And at that point, I thought everything was, you know, 
fine and in control. She's having a great time. It seemed all above board. Uh, and look, I don't know the full story. I don't know if she was there with one of them. I don't know later on if she was drunk. I, I actually have no clue. But one of the men I was with at the conference escorted her to a taxi because that is just, it was really unsafe and in a really detrimental way, physically, mentally, spiritually, you know, and she was meeting whatever needs she was trying to meet. Assuming that I'm reading the situation as I thought I was, those needs were, one, she was out by herself. Um, so that would possibly meet the need for variety. Who am I going to meet tonight? What friends am I going to make? Who will I go home with? Will I go home with somebody? If I do, what will they be like? And then there's the need for certainty. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to talk to people and drink and I'm going to get a buzz from drinking. Certainty. We know it's going to happen. Significance. When I drink, I feel more confident and I get attention and that makes me feel special. When I go out and meet somebody, it gives me confidence knowing that I'm attractive and that I can go and get the attention that I'm looking for. That makes me feel unique and loved and special to myself. Then obviously there's love and connection. I'm going to feel connected to the person that I want to be because when I drink, I feel good. And even though it may be a little false, I'm going to feel loved and connected to the people around me because I can flirt and mingle in a way that feels different than when I'm sober or in normal day-to-day -day life. So this is unresourceful because it's firstly fairly instant gratification. It's a very short-lived experience and the likelihood of it meeting those needs in that way is very low, especially when the consequences and the impact of that behavior follow you the next day or beyond that in a way of a hangover, a lot of money spent, you know, intoxication is actually really unhealthy, although it's very fun. I am definitely somebody who loves to have a drink and party, but it's also something that's really, really unhealthy. You know, you may get an STD, an unwanted pregnancy. And actually one of the worst things that I, I experienced myself was that sometimes when you do go home with someone, the way that they treat you is actually incredibly degrading when it comes to how you feel about yourself and you're left to deal with the aftermath of that long after it's, it's done because you're looking for that external validation to fill that void within you, to give you feelings that you can't generate for yourself or meet through other more resourceful means. As I've said, it's okay to look for things external to you to feel good. But we want to do that in a way that is lasting and ecological. So for instance, a lot of people love team sports. It gives certainty of a workout and a distraction and exercise. Variety in the game, especially if you're playing against opponents and in a competition, or if it's training, you don't know what drills or training exercises you'll be doing or how you're going to perform in that training session. Love and connection with yourself first and foremost because of the endorphins, the happy hormones, the physical nature of working out that sometimes means you have to go deep within yourself and push and to continue to push yourself, which builds confidence and trust within you. And secondary to those that you're playing the sport with and against, that love and connection that you have with them may not be love, but connection because you're all doing something in common. Significance, because you can top your previous achievements, you can get personal bests, you can push yourself to achieve and feel special in your own right. Or if you beat somebody that you're trying to beat competitively and that pushes you to be better while also pushing them to be better, that's a huge ego boost as well. Other examples of resourceful ways to meet needs are often things that you did as a child, things that you love doing. 
That may be bike riding, swinging, being in the outdoors, swimming, doing jigsaw puzzles or painting, music. Have a think about what you did as a child, what activities you did, how they made you feel, what you loved, things you remember doing for hours and hours and hours. As children, we don't go out drinking or pump ourselves full of drugs or opioids or, you know, seek instant gratification through eating a lot of junk food or sugar or sex or porn or whatever other ways adults have to feel good. But as children, we explore and feel good through the activities that we do. And there are so many of them. So have a think about the things you love doing as a child. Maybe see what photos exist of you in your childhood to see what activities you enjoyed. Ask somebody, is there a way you can do that again and bring that back into your life? Officeworks is great for arts and crafts and maybe there's a local sporting team you could join. If it's not something that you did as a child, maybe it's about choosing a new activity to go and try. You know, give you exercise and health and new friends something that you could choose to do not to be good at or to be the best at, not even to compete, but simply to try something new and do something different. Get those needs met in a really resourceful way to emotionally put you in a state to be the best version of you, contribute to yourself, to your family, to the world around you in the best possible way. Have an activity booked in by the end of the week and I will see you next week. Before you go, I always find reviews really helpful when looking for new information or insights. If you found this podcast valuable, please take a minute to write a quick review about what you found most beneficial so that other people can benefit from your insights and have a listen as well. I would love that. Also, if there are any topics you want me to cover specifically about life coaching or the life coaching industry, visit rhiannonbush.com to contact me. Thanks for joining and I'll see you in the next episode of the Do I Need a Life Coach podcast.